Bibles to the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. And our text today is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. Help the weak. That's what we're going to be looking at uh, this morning. But let's get the context. And so we'll read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, and actually, we're going to go and start in verse 13 of chapter 4. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. But test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. We'll stop there with the reading of God's Word. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, how we thank you for your Word. We are hungry as your little children. 
uh, for you to come, Lord Jesus, by your Spirit, even this day, to show us more of your beauty, to capture our hearts afresh as we begin a brand new week, to delight in you, Lord Jesus, to be trusting in you, to be revived and renewed in you so that we would have vigor and strength and zeal to live for you throughout this coming week. Lord God, we beg for your spirit. Help us to understand your word. Write it upon our hearts and lives. Take us by the hand, Lord Jesus. Be our good shepherd and lead us, feed us. In Jesus we pray, amen. Help the weak. Well, let's uh, take a look. Uh, Again, we see that the job of a pastor is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And we have no life in ourselves. We have no wisdom in ourselves. Our life, our wisdom, our hope, our joy is found in Jesus And because we belong to him, then not only do we have the forgiveness of our sins, uh, he has adopted us into his family and he is sanctifying us. He not only justified us by grace through faith in Jesus, the second we believed, we were declared righteous. He also has adopted us. And he has put us in his family. We're now children of the king. Uh, God calls upon us uh, to grow up, uh, to learn to conduct ourselves as sons and daughters of the king. And so God is sanctifying us. He's changing us day in and day out. It's like he's chiseling away. And you can picture a great old big block of marble and here God Almighty is this master sculptor and he's taking his chisel and his hammer and the word of God is being applied to us chipping away all that doesn't belong all the sin all the extra junk uh, that would crowd in and snuff out Uh, uh, our lives spiritually. God is at work forming and fashioning us more and more uh, to reflect the image of His Son, the moral character of God Almighty. And God has work for us to do. And so that's what the Apostle Paul now is focusing on as he writes these new Christians who he loves so dearly in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I want you to be equipped and I want you to be at work serving the living God in your ministry one to another. And that's what this whole section now is focused on of how God says we have the joy of having life, not just as individuals trusting in Jesus, but together as a part of the family of God. And you'll notice at the end of chapter 4, therefore encourage or comfort one another with these words. What are we supposed to do with the truth of the gospel and that we have a Savior who's going to come and raise us from the dead? Uh, body and soul will be forever with the Lord. Well, not only is that to be a joy and a delight to our own hearts, but we're to be using that truth to be a blessing to those around us who love Jesus, our brothers and sisters in the family of God. We see the same thing at the end of this next section, verse 11 of chapter 5. Uh, Whether we are awake or asleep, we live with him and we seek to please him, to honor him, and therefore comfort 
one another and build one another up just as you are doing. And then we have this section where we are reminded how we need to pay careful attention to the message boys that Jesus sends to help us understand the Word of God and to put it into practice. And we see here in uh, the end of verse 13, be at peace among yourselves. Uh, We're to be peacemakers and running after peace. Satan loves to lob uh, his uh, little bombs in our homes, in our church family, in our community. Uh, He loves to stir up strife. He loves to create uh, a doubt. He loves to create uh, a, a, a growing hostility, offenses. And uh, uh, God calls upon us to be dealing with our own sin and the sin of others Jesus' way. Bringing his gospel to bear upon our own hearts and the relationships uh, that we have best we can uh, to live at peace with everybody around us because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Uh, God has work for us to do. And we need to be encouraging the people around us as they see us laboring uh, in our own homes and in our callings, doing the work that Jesus has given us to do and to admonish, to be speaking the word of God, uh, helping our own children and grandchildren and the young people and children of this congregation and those who are older uh, who have forgotten the joy of working uh, for and in Jesus Last week we looked at encourage the faint-hearted. And now today we come help the weak. Help the weak. Well, who are the weak? Well, this word weak is a very, very interesting word in the Greek. And it's a strong word. It's a word that describes a state of helplessness. Uh, We're not talking about just a little need here. We're talking about those who are are really in a hard way left to themselves. Uh, That because of their condition, whether it be their own circumstances or their own uh, uh, stage of life, uh, situation in life, they are in need of great help. Um, in the book of the gospel um, that is described in such power in the book of Romans, turn with me to Romans chapter 5. And um, I just want you to see one of the places where this term is used. In Romans chapter 5, verse 6, For while we were still weak or helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And so here's your term, the exact same term uh, that we find here in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14. Help the weak. Who are the weak? What does weak mean? It means those who are utterly helpless either because of who they are or their circumstances or their station where they find themselves in God's providence. Uh, It could be a combination of things, but here is this same term describing us left to ourselves. As the book of Ephesians chapter 2 describes us, because of Adam and Eve's rebellion against God, What do we have to do to become sinners? Nothing. That's just where we are. That's where we find ourselves. It just comes naturally 
to us, sadly. But that's our condition. And here, Romans chapter 5, verse 6, describes that condition of helplessness. Uh, We're totally unable to fix what we need. And that is, we need to be right with God. But left to ourselves, we're dead in our sins and trespasses. And we willingly were giving ourselves to the realm of darkness. Now that doesn't mean that people who aren't converted are as bad as they could be. Uh, Praise God, God's hand restrains evil. Even among those who are not Christians. Uh, But what it does mean is, unless God comes by His Spirit and makes us alive from the dead, opening our eyes and taking out our dead heart, as we read in Ezekiel chapter 36, unless Messiah comes and takes out our dead heart and gives us a heart of flesh by His Spirit to see that we're sinners to see the nail-scarred hands of Jesus held forth for us, nobody will become a Christian. Nobody will embrace Christ. But praise God that the God of the Bible not only purchased redemption, but He applies that redemption in history, coming to us, calling us out of darkness into His marvelous light. And so... As we think about helping the weak now, it's easy for us to relate to the weak, or it ought to be, but you know what? We have a problem because it's awfully easy for us to forget who we used to be and where we would be yet still apart from the grace of God. And this is a call for us to be humble before the Lord. It is a call for us to take to heart that it is God that we ought to be glorying in. It's God, the God of our salvation, we ought to be boasting in. Not boasting about self. Not boasting and glorying in who we are. We are, as the Apostle Paul declared in 1 Corinthians 15, I am what I am. Why? How? By the grace of God. And so as we begin thinking about helping the weak now, we all were helpless. We all were hopeless. How helpless? Well, I love the passage of Scripture in Ezekiel. Turn with me in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel chapter 37. And first of all, let's go back to chapter 36. And I want you to see that God had promised through His prophet Ezekiel that when Messiah would come... He would do this amazing work of redeeming people who were dead and making them alive by joining them to his son. Look at verse 24 of Ezekiel 36. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And so here's this picture of people who are walking around. They're spiritual zombies. They look like they're alive, but they really aren't because you and I, apart from the grace of God, that's what we used to be. 
And that's what we would continue to be, people who had a dead heart toward God. And what changed us? But God, who is rich in mercy, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive by joining us to his Son. He took out our heart of stone and gave us a heart of flesh. Look at chapter 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. And then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Now, can you think of anything more silly than a man talking to dead bones? Well, it would be silly unless two things. Number one, God told him to do it, so it's not silly. It's never silly to do what God says. And secondly... God, his word, can make dead people alive. And Ezekiel is told to speak the word of God. That's what prophecy is. God would put his very word in the mouth of a prophet. O Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones live? I said, O Lord God, you know. And then he said, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you. And the Hebrew word for breath there, ruach, is the same term that is either translated wind or spirit or breath. It's the same Hebrew word over and over in this passage. The same word for the name of God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit. What makes these dead bones alive? God's Spirit is speaking His word. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live and I will lay sinews upon you and cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I prophesied there was a sound and behold a rattling and the bones came together bone to its bone and I looked and behold there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. And as Jesus explained to Nicodemus, uh, that's what happens when a person becomes a Christian. We are born again. We're born by the Spirit. The Spirit of God comes and takes out our heart of flesh and gives us a, a, a heart that beats for Jesus. That heart of stone is removed and a heart that is alive toward God that is no longer full of hatred toward God and opposition to God, but now delights to have peace with God through faith in Jesus. That's what God does. And so, uh, before we consider some uh, ways in which we are called upon to help the weak, uh, we need to remember and take to heart that apart from the grace of God, we were all weak in the ultimate sense of the term. Ultimate weakness. You can't get any more weak than what I was and you were apart from God's saving presence. We were totally, utterly helpless and hopeless left to ourselves. But praise God that he has come and given us life 
in his son. He has made us alive from the dead. And we now live in Jesus with him forever and ever. Well, what does it mean for us then to come and, and help the weak? Uh, this, this word help uh, is the idea. It's also a very strong word and it has two things. It means uh, either to cling or hold fast to uh, or to have a strong entrance in. And there are various translations. Help, uphold, support. Those are the English words that are used in the New American Standard, the New King James, the King James Version to translate this Greek word. It's a strong word. It's not just kind of tweaking something. Uh, but it is coming to rescue. Uh, it is coming to uh, take care of those uh, who, uh, left to themselves, are in a very, very, very difficult circumstance. Well, um, you can see me afterward. I can give you a whole list of places this term uh, a week is, is found, but you get the picture. Uh, it, it is those who are in need. Well, who's in need of us helping? Well, uh, let's begin, first of all, by looking at uh, children. Turn with me uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 19. Here the Lord Jesus gives to us um, uh, information um, in Matthew chapter 19, uh, in verse 13 and 14, uh, we have a, a picture painted for us uh, of the disciples, and they viewed children as, sadly, the way many people in the world, in our culture, in our day, view children. Uh, they're nuisances. Uh, they have runny noses, and you have to change their diapers. Who's got time for that? That's what we see the world viewing. Uh, they're going to put a crimp uh, on my lifestyle. That's how the world views children. Well, Jesus says, help the weak. Uh, in Matthew chapter 19, verse 13, Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. And if you go over to the parallel accounts, it specifies that infants also were included. I mean, we're talking, you know, you know what infants do. They cry, they eat, they need their diaper changed. I mean, that's kind of it. Now, of course, they do all kinds of other cute things. They smile and make all kinds of wonderful uh, sounds and facial expressions. But the disciples see this herd of little children and little babies coming. <laughs> you know, Jesus, he had, a, he had a busy day going. And the disciples, they, they see what's going to happen. Here are all these mamas, and they want Jesus to take up these little ones and for Jesus to bless their little ones. And so what did the disciples do? Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people. The disciples went out, headed these mamas off at the pass, and rebuked them and said, now y'all just need to get on away from here. Uh, Jesus has got important things to do. He doesn't have time uh, for all these little kids. Scram. Jesus rebuked the disciples. And he said, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. <laughs> the other uh, accounts say that he blessed them. 
Turn with me to chapter 18. Verse 1, at that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now we know on other occasions the disciples even would argue among themselves which of them was the greatest. Now they were embarrassed when Jesus asked them on one occasion, Hey guys, what y'all talking about? And they had been arguing about that very thing. They didn't want to answer know who's the greatest the disciples came to Jesus and asked him and calling him a child he put him in the midst of them and said truly I say to you unless you turn and become like children you will never enter the kingdom of heaven whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven whoever receives one such child in my name receives me now that is an astounding statement and you think about the calling of of being a mother. What an incredible, incredible calling. What an incredible privilege to have the privilege of conceiving and, and, and caring a little one and giving birth to that little one and then nurturing and caring for that little one. And God says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. That's astounding. And so if you're a parent here today and you're weary and tired of dealing with a child that's kind of not cooperating, I pray that the Lord will impress upon you we have the joy and the privilege of helping the weak uh, if if you have a child that is older uh, and it, it's it's difficult um, remember Jesus says whoever receives one such child in my name receives me but look at verse 6. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. In other words, we live in a fallen world, yes, but we are responsible before Almighty God. And whoever would cause a little one to stumble, whoever would say, I don't have time for you, whoever would give an ungodly example to a little one and cause a little one to stumble, Jesus says, it would be better for me if I caused a little one to stumble. It would be better for me for the living God to take me and put a big millstone around my neck and throw me in the depth of the sea. It would be better off for me for that to just happen to me than to fall into the hands of the living God and what he is going to do in time and eternity to those who cause little ones to stumble. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. God warns us that we need to be brutal with our own sin. Now, the Lord doesn't want us to literally maim ourselves, okay? Elsewhere in Scripture, he says that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we need to take care of his temple. But Jesus is using this, this hyperbolic language 
to describe for us, here's what I need to be doing to my own sin. I need to be brutal with it. Because if I'm not, I'm going to be a poor, godless example to the little ones around me. And Jesus says, it would be better for me to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. And throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. You know, if you're tempted with the sin of pornography, write this passage down and memorize it. Because little ones are watching. And they'll find out. Don't cause one of God's little ones to stumble. Help the weak. Look at verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Incredible. God says that in the pecking order in the throne room of heaven, that the angels that God has assigned to care for his little ones, their angels, there is referring to these children who belong to Jesus, who believe in Jesus. Their angels are where? They're upright at the throne. Their angels are always beholding the face of the Father. They're upright at the throne. They're not in the back of the throne room. <laughs> They're up right at the throne. Their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. That uh, reminds us of the, of the premium that Almighty God places upon these little ones. Be a godly example by the grace of God. Pray with them. Teach them about Jesus. Show them about Jesus. Love them. Spend time with them. Cherish them. And say to them, come with me. Let's follow Jesus together. Help the weak. Well, uh, the second category as we think about what does it mean to help the weak. Turn with me over in the book of James. The book of James. Um, and we're going to look at another category of what it looks like to help the weak. In James chapter 1, verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans, and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. What does it mean to visit orphans and widows? Well, it doesn't just mean you come and, hey there, how you doing? See you, bye. No, when someone would visit, when God would visit his people uh, to rescue them, he would come and, and his presence would deliver them. And so to visit orphans and widows means that you take care of them. The psalm that we read this morning, turn with me again to Psalm 146. Psalm 146. And here we have a description of God. And who is the God of the Bible? The God of the Bible, he watches over the strangers and upholds he rescues, he cares for the widow and the fatherless. There in Psalm 146, verse 9. And in the early days of the New Testament church, uh, we see uh, God's people loving one another and caring for one another. And, and there were Levites, there were priests who 
sadly were a lot like what we see in Luke chapter 10. You remember the Good Samaritan and how a priest saw this guy who had been beaten up. What did he do? He passed on the other side of the road. And a Levite then who wasn't on active duty as a priest, but he also came and he did the same thing. But a Samaritan came by. And what did he do? He took this man, he cared for his wounds, he paid some money to the innkeeper. He said, listen, if this isn't enough, I'm, after I finish my business trip, I'll pass back by this way and I'll settle up with you. But take care of him until he gets back on his feet. And Jesus had required his people in the Old Testament time to take care of widows and orphans. But sadly, the Pharisees weren't doing it. The Levites weren't doing it. But when the gospel burst forth in the book of Acts, the Lord Jesus instituted a new office called the office of deacon. And as these men led God's people in mercy ministry, in caring for the needs of those in the congregation that couldn't care for themselves, you know what happened? It was a powerful testimony of the gospel in action. And it tells us in Acts chapter 6 verse 7, in the face of, of God's people caring for those who were weak, many of the priests came to faith in Jesus. They saw before their eyes what they should have been doing and, and, and it, it convicted them. And they thought, wow, here's the one who can give us life. And they ran to Jesus. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 22. Exodus chapter 22. Help the weak. And so Exodus chapter 22 Verse 21 and following, You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You know, when people move uh, from one country to another, um, they may not know all of the lingo. They may not know all of the uh, uh, character traits of the people around them. And these would be people, it would be easy to take advantage of them in business dealings and, you know, so forth. And God says, look, you're not to oppress the stranger in your midst, but you're to remember what you used to be. You used to be a stranger in the land of Egypt. And you remember what Pharaoh did. He made you a slave. And he mistreated you horribly. He even required you to murder your little unborn baby boys before it was over with. You remember all of that? You used to be slaves in Egypt. And what happened? God came and reached down his mighty hand and rescued you. And therefore, you need to remember the mercy that God has showered upon you and show his mercy to the stranger in your midst. Well, he goes on, verse 22. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. Now, why does he say that? Well, in a society, widows and orphans, what clout do they have in society? I mean, they are some of the most... Uh, vulnerable people in, in terms of uh, those who are the power brokers in society. And God says, you shall not mistreat the widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn. Now, one of the things we know about God is he says he's a God who is slow to anger and abounding in mercy, but here is an exception. 
And we need to take note of this. God says, if you put your hand on a widow or an orphan and they cry out to me, all they have to do is just whimper a little bit. God says, I'll hear. And my wrath will burn. And look what he says. My wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. And so Jesus says, help the weak. And if, if we would take to heart the gospel and treat the people around us, beginning in our own families and our church family, and then it spreads out from there, God's kind of way, it would be a powerful testimony of the gospel. People would see the gospel in action and they would go, whoa, those people are different. Now, people think we're different now uh, just because we don't go along with a lot of the craziness. But they also need to see the mercy and the love of God in action. All right, let's look at another example of helping the weak. Turn with me to the book of Job, chapter 31. And here, uh, he's describing business owners. Okay, so if you own a business, if you have people that work for you, uh, God says, help the weak. Uh, help those who are under your authority and your control and do what you can to minister to them, to treat them in a way that honors Almighty God, um, to be treating them the way we want to be treated. You know, there's a rule that is referred to as the golden rule. Now, the world has a golden rule, too. You know what the world's golden rule is? Those who have the gold rule. That's the world's perversion of the golden rule. But in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, verse 31, Jesus said, however you want people to treat you, that's the way you ought to treat others. And here we have the testimony of Job. And Job was a wealthy man. He was a powerful man. But notice Job's testimony. <clears throat> In Job chapter 31, verse 1, I've made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? What would be my portion from God above and my heritage from the Almighty on high? Is not calamity for the unrighteous and disaster for the workers of iniquity? Does not he see my ways and number all my steps? If I have walked with falsehood and my foot has hastened to deceit, let me be weighed in a just balance and let God know my integrity. If my step is turned aside from the way and my heart is gone after my eyes, if my any spot has stuck to my hands, then let me sow and another eat and let what grows for me be rooted out. If my heart has been enticed toward a woman and I have lain in wait at my neighbor's door, then let my wife grind for another and let others bow down on her. For that would be a heinous crime. That would be an iniquity to be punished by the judges, for that would be a fire that consumes as far as a bad, and it would burn to the root all my increase. If I have rejected the cause of my manservant or my maidservant when they brought a complaint against me. And so here's people who work for him. He said, now, Lord, he says, you know that I have sought to treat those who work for me in a, in a just way. Lord, has there ever been a time that one of my employees came to me with a problem and a complaint and I said, well, that's just too bad. Hit the road, Jack. No. He said, if I have rejected the cause of my manservant or my maidservant when they brought a complaint against me, what then shall I do when God rises up, when he makes inquiry? What shall I answer him? 
Did not he who made me in the womb make him? And did not one fashion us in the womb? Help the weak. God says we need to remember that God's the one who owns everything, including me and everything I have, including you and everything you have, and we want to treat the people who work under us in a way that pleases God. Now, that doesn't mean we always give people what they ask for. Uh, We're seeking to do what's right in God's sight in regard to those who are working for us. If God's people did that one thing in this land, think what a difference our land would be like. It, 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 would, it would just turn everything on its head. As the way we treat children, as the way we take care of those who are in need. Well, Verse 16, if I have withheld anything that the poor desired or have caused the eye of the widow to fail or have eaten my morsel alone and the fatherless has not eaten of it, for from my youth the fatherless grew up with me as with a father, and from my mother's womb I guided the widow. If I have seen anyone perish for lack of clothing or the needy without covering. And this doesn't mean that we're just handing out goodies uh, like our uh, welfare system does that has no moral uh, requirements attached to it. That's not what help the weak is picturing, but it does mean that we are seeking to be faithful to the Lord Jesus in dealing with the people around us. As we read in 1 Timothy chapter 5, if there is someone in need, what do we do? Well, families are supposed to take care of their own. And if they can't or won't, then the church is supposed to assist. But this notion that we look to the civil government to be the Savior and the one who orders everything is not what Jesus has called us to believe or participate in or support. Help the weak. Well, we've got one more category, and we're going to save that till next week because I don't want to rush over it. But praise God, we have a Savior who loves us, and he gives us the joy of showing the mercy he has showered upon us to those around us. Help the weak. Oh, may God grow us in the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, Please bless us now as we continue to worship you, as we sing. Uh, Lord, we lay ourselves at your feet. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its clarity and power. And we beg, O oh, oh living God, that you would write this verse upon our hearts and that you would grow us in Christ in the way we treat each other as husbands and wives and parents and children, as we treat each other in our church family, as we treat the people around us in the workplace and neighbors. Oh, Lord God, uh, grow us in you, Lord Jesus, and we delight to follow you and live for you, for your praise. In Jesus' name, amen.